Dear loving Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another opportunity to study your word. We also thank you for the temporal blessings you've given to us. Now is the time for us to be blessed with your word and we ask that you would speak to us with your own words. Lord, please put your words in my mouth and give me the right words to speak. Help, Lord, that all we will learn by your grace will be so impressed on our hearts that you will have power to put it in practice also. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. That I may know him, February 14. Teaching in depth. The officers answered, Never man speak like this man. John chapter 7 verse 46 of christ's teaching it is said the common people heard him gladly mark chapter 12 verse 37 never man spake like this man declared the officers who were sent to take him his words comforted strengthened and blessed those who were hungering for that peace which he alone could give Oh, how tender and forbearing was Christ! How filled with pity and tenderness were his lessons to the poor, the afflicted, and the oppressed. His illustrations were taken from the themes of daily life and had in them a wonderful depth of meaning. The fowls of the air, the lilies of the field, the seed, the shepherd and the sheep. With these objects, Christ illustrated immortal truth. And ever afterward, when his hearers chanced to see these things of nature, they recalled his words. Christ's words, so comforting and cheering to those that listen to them, are for us today. As a faithful shepherd knows and cares for his sheep, so Christ cares for his children. He knows the trials and difficulties surrounding each one. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd declares Isaiah. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom. Christ knows his sheep intimately and the suffering and helpless are objects of his special care. Christ has weighed every human affliction, every human sorrow. He bears the weight of the yoke for every soul that yokes up with him. He knows the sorrows which we feel to the depth of our being and which we cannot express. If no human heart is aroused to sympathy for us, we need not feel that we are without sympathy. Christ knows and he says, Look unto me and live. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 I have borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. You have the deepest, richest sympathy in the tender, pitying love of your shepherd. His humanity is not lost to the exalted character of his omnipotence. He is ever longing to pour out his sympathy 
and love upon those whom he has chosen and who will respond to his invitation. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is Teaching in Depth. Yesterday, we looked at the greatest teacher. And one thing that stood out is that in order to be a great teacher, you must teach the right gospel, a complete one, not a half-baked gospel, the gospel that delivers from sin. And that is the whole of the word of God. You are not to neglect any part. If you neglect one, you neglect all and you become guilty of all. You are not saving anybody from sin. Also, we saw how we are to speak and the countenance of our faces is to be if we must impress the truth on the hearts of our listeners. We spoke about the use of simple words, simple vocabulary, easy to be understood. That does not mean that we should not seek to improve ourselves in the way we speak. It's very important that just because we are saying simple words and vocabulary, we should understand that that is not encouraging mediocrity. That is not encouraging us not to develop and improve. Even the unlearned needs to improve. There will still be times when the unlearned may need to even take a dictionary for words that they do not understand. They need to come up higher. As far as those words that are used are the words that are common to the people, then the unlearned needs to come up to that common word. Because what matters is not about whether the unlearned can understand you or not, but the words you use. Are they the common words that people use? You use vocabulary that you know there is a simpler one, but you choose to use one that is more difficult. Do you want to be understood? It's questionable when you do that. So I just wanted to bring that up. And even in the pronunciation of words, we should learn to pronounce them the right way so that the people can understand us appropriately. Today, we're talking about teaching in depth. To teach in depth in the context in which we are looking at it means to teach in such a manner that the lesson one intends to pass is deeply understood and appreciated. Our Lord Jesus was the master of teaching in depth. And he does not limit this gift to himself. He was taught of the Father. And if we open ourselves to be taught of the Father, we will be able to do the same thing, teaching in depth. In order to teach spiritual lessons deeply, we must always use simple language, easy to be understood by a child and by the unlearned. This does not mean that we should not get better and better in our use of words, but that we are to study to use the best skills to make, our, to make sure our message is properly understood. Jesus was able to achieve to teach spiritual truths with the use to achieve this teaching in depth, the spiritual truth he gave by the use of illustrations, tact, and symbols, but yet with a simple language. In John 7 verse 44 and 45, It says, And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have you not brought him? And they responded, That never man spake as this man. That's verse 46. The reason for this was because of the deep spiritual lessons he was teaching and the way he taught it, especially the way he lived his life. In what we read today, that I may know him, page 51, paragraph 2, we are told, of Christ teaching it, it is said that the common people heard him gladly. Never man speak like this man, declared the officers who were sent to take him. His words comforted, strengthened, and blessed those who were hungering for that peace which he alone could give. His illustrations, that's the lesson now, his illustrations were taken from the things of daily 
life. Reading from Voice and Speech and Song, page 86, paragraph 1, we are told, The words of life were presented in such simplicity that a child could understand them. So Jesus used illustrations that everyone could relate with. When we draw our lessons and use illustrations from the common works of life, everyone can relate with it. Even a little child and the unlearned can relate with it. If we wanted to speak to a large crowd of people, consisting of the learned and the unlearned, and we use illustrations such as maybe talking about how the kingdom of God is like a vortex or like a black hole, or we use any other illustration drawn from only one profession using vocabulary that is limited to only people in a certain profession, that is uncommon, we are sure to lose our audience and be misunderstood when we do that. When we use registers, the word, you know, when you do English, there's something called registers. One word used in a particular profession would mean a certain thing. For example, hanger. If I say hanger normally, what you would remember, the common one, is what you use to hang your clothes. But when you are talking of hanger in aviation, I didn't spell it, I'm just speaking. If I say hanger, the common man doesn't know what that is. A hanger is a place where the planes are kept. So this is the example of using illustrations. If I say, oh, the kingdom of God is like a hanger. Who understands what a hanger is? It's not a common thing. Or the kingdom of God is like a vortex. Do you know what a vortex is? Chances are some of us don't even know what a vortex is or a black hole. Those are registers, words that are used to specific professions. Vortex, black hole, those who are doing astronomy, they are the ones who understand those things. So this is what it means to use illustrations that can easily send the truth deeply into the hearts of everyone you are speaking to. It is to use common illustrations, things that everyone can relate with. If we say it is appropriate to use uncommon illustrations, then our desire to save souls is very questionable. How many people in this world can relate with the concept of a vortex or a black hole? How many people can relate with the terminologies used in data analysis, project management and law? Very few. If we really meant to give the gospel to the poor and wanted to be understood, why then do we draw illustrations from areas of life that are uncommon to the learned and to a little child? Maybe we don't intend to teach. Maybe we intend to show what we have learned from the world. We intend to show how educated we are. That's why we are doing that. But if you intended to teach lessons that everybody can understand, what stops you from using illustrations like Jesus did, which we will talk about very soon? common illustrations around us. Before I mention that, in Voice and Speech and Songs, page 84, paragraph 2, we are told, the greatest teacher the world ever knew was admired for his simplicity. Not for his complexity, but for his simplicity. You are complex when you use illustrations and words that are not common. Continuing the reading, it says, for he presented divine truth in such a way that even children could comprehend his words. And at the same time, he drew the attention of the best educated and deepest thinkers of the world. By the use of familiar illustrations, he made truth plain to the minds of the common people. Because common people know common words. They don't know the words that are not common. That's why. It says, in simplicity, he sowed the seed of the gospel truth in the minds and hearts of his hearers. And it sprang up and yielded a harvest unto everlasting life. And in page 85, paragraph 2, it says, The Prince of Teachers, 
he sought access to the people by the pathway of their most familiar associations. He presented the truth in such a way that, ever after, it was to his hearers intertwined with their most hallowed recollections and sympathies. He taught in a way that made them feel the completeness of his identification with their interests and happiness. His instruction was so direct, his illustrations were so appropriate, his words so sympathetic and cheerful that his hearers were charmed. The simplicity and earnestness with which he addressed the needy hallowed every word. Amen. I'm just reminded now about one illustration that I usually use with respect to keeping the Sabbath holy. I, the illustration of somebody in a farm and the person is walking with his hands dirty and a white garment is brought to the person and says, take this white, and then the person who brings it says, take this white garment, please keep it clean and white. Now, the man who is walking in the farm, what does he have to do in order to keep that garment clean and white? He has to wash his hands. That is just an illustration of what it means to enter into the Lord's rest and to keep the Sabbath day holy. It means that you wash your hands. You cannot keep the Sabbath day holy when you are not holy yourself. You cannot keep anything holy when you are not holy. That's just an example of using illustrations that can easily be understood. So what are some of the things that are from the common walks of life? I just give one example now. But then there are other things that Jesus used that everybody can relate with. For example, the light. He said, you are the light of the world. That's the sun now. We are told that Jesus is the son of righteousness. When the sun comes and gives light, what happens? Darkness vanishes. That is an example of what Jesus does to you if he's in your life. Darkness representing sin will disappear. The sun cannot be in a place and there is darkness. It's not possible. So also, Christ cannot be in your life and you will still remain in the darkness of sin. Then we are told we are the light of the world, being that you you must shine to the world. Using another example, Jesus talked about a house, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, giving the example of what the life of a Christian should be like. He talked about salt. He talked about water. Very, That is one that really Jesus used a lot. Water. Water is something that is all around us. Who cannot relate with water? A child can relate with it. A child can relate with the sun, with light, with water, with a house. He used the example of a seed sown in the ground, talking about how the ground it represents our heart and the seed is the word of God. He used trees to illustrate human beings when he said, dig around it and if it does not bring forth fruit, then cut it down. Those were illustrations. He talked about the sky, the human body parts. He used them as illustrations. Every child has a body part so they can they can relate with it he said the light of the body is the eye if thy eye be single then shall thy body be full of light but if it is evil then it is full of darkness and how great is that darkness it was a body part he used he also talked about farm practices that is done the kinds of soils that exist he talked about birds he talked about dogs do you know he said do not give that which is holy unto dogs he talked about pigs neither cast your pearls before swine whereas they tread it underfoot and turn around and rend thee he talked about trees about flowers these are common things that is there anything here a child cannot relate with a child who represents perhaps the most unlearned can relate with everything here and when you use these illustrations you really teach in depth because people can understand it is not everything in nature however that is common 
because just because I mention these things that are in nature, it doesn't mean all of them are common. Some are common in some areas while others are not. But there are things that are common all over the world. If I say, for example, and I want, I want to use an animal for an example, and I say, I talk about um, jackals, for example, or I talk about an animal that is called the zebra. How, how many people know what a zebra is? You see, even in the choice of things in nature, Jesus chose things that is common to everybody. He chose things that is common to everybody. So these are objects that Jesus used to teach deep spiritual truths. And then, talking about symbols, he also used things that are easily understood in prophecies. It says in Voice in Speech and Song, page 86, paragraph 2, The Savior came to preach the gospel to the poor. Luke 4, verse 18. In his teaching, he used the simplest terms and the plainest symbols. And it is said that the common people heard him gladly. Mark 12, verse 37. Those who are seeking to do his work for this time need a deeper insight into the lessons he has given. And in page 97, paragraph 1, it says, In the Sermon on the Mount, he instructed the people in practical godliness, distinctly outlining their duty. He spoke in such a manner as to commend the truth to the conscience. The power manifested by the disciples was revealed in the clearness and earnestness with which they expressed the truth. Amen. So, I've already mentioned some of the things that he used to express the truth in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in the Sermon on the Mount. He says they were things on practical godliness. But to teach those things, he used a lot of illustrations. In Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46, there we see some other example of illustrations that Jesus used when he talked about the kingdom of God. We are going to study that in our devotion very soon. He talked about the kingdom of heaven like being like unto treasure hid in a field, which when a man has found it, he hides it and for joy thereof goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He talked about the pearl of great price. In Luke 13, verse 18 to 21, he talked about how the kingdom of God, he said, wherein? He was thinking, what are the things in nature? He was asking, what shall we liken the kingdom of God to and whereunto shall I resemble it? If you ask yourself that question and you come up with something that is not common, then you are not going to be understood. You have to use something common. What did Jesus say? What did he use to resemble it? He said, it is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden and it grew and waxed a great tree. And the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaving which a woman took and hid in three, in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. Now these two things are teaching the same lesson, which is the lesson of the influence that God's people will have in the world, the influence of the gospel. But he used two illustrations for two walks of life. Life. If in case you don't know what a mustard seed is, at least you know what a seed is. But he was specific. He said it's like a mustard seed. Why? Because it is very small. I've, some people have never seen a mustard seed before. I've seen it, but maybe just once or twice. So you may say, I can't relate with it. But he explained in another part of the scripture. He says, if you have faith as little as a mustard seed, so we know that the mustard seed is very small. Why he used the mustard seed is because of its small, how little it is. But then he says it grows into a great tree. It has good influence. Then, in case you don't understand that one, maybe you are a baker. Then Jesus used the the profession of baking. He says it's like living, that's yeast. In case you don't understand that one, he could use another illustration so that we can 
grasp deeply. The one who was the baker in that place, the women would, would nod their head. Mm, the kingdom of God is like living. They bake a lot so they know oh, it's like living. Now I understand. Living has an influence to make the bread to get bigger. So they understood. And the one who is the farmer that plants the mustard seed also could relate. The truth is going deep into their heart because Jesus is using illustrations that they can relate with. Like we saw before, Jesus never used flattery. Page 85, paragraph 1, voice and speech and song says, Christ never flattered men. He never spoke that which would exalt their fancies and imaginations. Nor did he praise them for their clever inventions. But deep, unprejudiced thinkers received his teaching and found that it tested their wisdom. They marveled at the spiritual truth expressed in the simplest language. End of quote. So, while it is that Jesus was using these simple things, yet even the most learned had something to think about when they finished hearing him. They didn't leave there feeling uninterested, feeling this thing is too low for me, I'm higher than this. They left there understanding we have heard deep truths today, things that we can contemplate on and meditate upon. In Matthew 23, like we saw yesterday from verse 16 to 22, we hear Jesus speaking woe to the, to the Pharisees. And that's, they were prejudiced thinkers. They were not people who were unprejudiced because they would listen to Jesus and want to, want to find fault with the things he was saying. But like we read, to the unprejudiced thinkers, they received Jesus' teaching and they found that it tested their wisdom. Another thing is that in order to speak and teach the word to make it to have the deep understanding in the minds of the hearers we must use forcible but yet simple language page 6 paragraph 4 says christ reached the people where they were he presented the plain truth to their minds in the most forcible simple language the humble poor the most unlearned and compre- could comprehend true faith in him the most exalted truths no one needed to consult the learned doctors as to his meaning. He did not perplex the ignorant with mysterious inferences or use unaccustomed and learned words of which they had no knowledge. The greatest teacher the world has ever known was the most definite, simple and practical in his instruction. End of quote. The point I want to make here is when we're making when we're teaching or using illustrations, we have to be forcible but yet simple. What does it mean to be forcible? To use illustrations that the people cannot miss the point, yet the point that is being made is so deep. You didn't, you're, not say dire, you're not saying it directly, but the point is gotten. So let's see, what example can we use from the word of God in the teachings of Jesus to understand a forcible language that he used? The one that comes to my mind is Luke 13. Reading from verse 1 there, it talks about how some people came to meet Jesus to tell him about those who Pilate, who were offering sacrifices and Pilate killed them and mingled their blood with their sacrifice. And when Jesus heard this, he then told them, Do you think that these people were sinners above all sinners, that that's why it happened to them? He said, If you don't repent, you also likewise perish. And then he mentioned another matter which they didn't bring up to him. He said, Or do you think that those Galileans who the tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were sinners above all sinners in in Galilee? He said, No, they were not. But if you don't repent, you also likewise perish. 
Possibly, the people did not get the point very well. To use forcible language to send the point home, Jesus then told the parable. Luke 13 from verse 6, it says, He spake also this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came and sought fruit thereon, and found none. Then said he unto the dresser of his vineyard, Behold, these three years, I come seeking fruit on this fig, on this fig tree, and find none. Cut it down, why cumbereth it the ground? And he answering said unto him, Lord, let it alone this year also, till I shall dig about it, and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well. And if not, then after thou shalt cut it down. Amen. This was forcible language. This did not need any explanation. It was deep. No one asked questions. It was clear what the meaning of this parable was. We find lots of forcible language in the word of God. Jesus talked about hell. When he was talking about hell, he said, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. He talked about the illustration of the, of the goat and the sheep putting one to the left and the other to the right. He used the place called Gehenna. In the land of Judah then, there was that place where, the, where there was an incinerator. In that incinerator, they burn things continually. There is always fire in that place. He used that as an illustration of how hell of how the lake of fire was going to be used to destroy the wicked. When we go to Revelation chapter 14, after the third angel's message from verse 9 to 13, from verse 14 downward, there's an illustration there of how a wine press is pressed and then blood flows. And when the blood flows, it says it's so much that it goes up to the forelongs of a horse. That was a dark one there that was forcible language to tell us the destruction of the wicked. These are the kind of ways that Jesus used illustrations to teach deep lessons in forcible language, yet simple words were used. And to the Pharisees, he used illustrations too that were forcible on them. In Matthew 23, Verse 24, he said to them, Ye blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. What is that's an illustration there? In other words, look at the illustration. You, do you know what a gnat is? A very small insect. And what's a camel? It's very big. You are very careful, that's what he was saying, to take note of very minor and little things. But then you swallow a camel. In other words, you allow and permit very great wrongs that's what he was trying to illustrate in that but using the camel and the gnat was showing the difference in the things that the pharisees were concerned about how how so far and wide apart is the is the importance of one and how little is the other he continued and said to them Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, then the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also have outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within are full of sympathy and iniquity. Wow. Is this forcible language? I believe so. 
This was forcible language Jesus used here, but simple vocabulary for the words to get home to the people he was speaking to. There is no how the Pharisees would not get the message. They got the message. It was clear in forcible language. There was the parable of the sower, the parable of the wheat and tares. All of this, he was teaching in forcible language lessons easy to be understood. He was talking of the destruction of the world when he told the parable of the wheat and the tares, of how we are going to have in the church of God both those who are good and those who are evil, and in the end God will separate all, and he talked about the tares being thrown into the fire to be burnt. That was forcible illustration there, and it was clear to understand what the message was. Now, another thing is there was emphasis on the words and gestures that Jesus used. You see, it says in page 6, paragraph 1, Men, women, and children were so impressed with his manner of explaining the scriptures that they will catch the very intonation of his voice, place the same emphasis on their words, and imitate his gestures. You know, when Jesus resurrected, the Bible tells us that those two men he walked with on the road to Emmaus, the way they knew him was by his gesture. When he wanted to bless the food, the, the Bible says there that they knew him in the blessing of the bread. That means there is a way he always placed his hand when he wanted to pray over the food. And once he did that, the people, their eyes opened like, it's only one person we know that has this gesture, is Jesus Christ. That was when they knew him and he disappeared after blessing the meal and they rejoiced that they had seen Jesus. So he had his own gestures that he made that people could identify with and children, women, men, they copied his gestures and we, by divine help, can have the right gestures in presenting the truth. Jesus always spoke his message and went straight to the point whenever he was teaching. In page 97, paragraph 1, we are told he illustrated truth in all its bearings and then left his hearers free to accept or reject it as they might choose. He did not force anyone to believe. In Christ's teaching, there is no long, far-fetched, complicated reasoning. That's We should not bring long, complicated reasoning when using illustrations or teaching. Jesus did not do that. He comes right to the point. In his ministry, he read every heart as an open book. And from the inexhaustible store of his treasure house, he drew things both new and old to illustrate and enforce his teachings. He touched the heart and awakened the sympathies. Another thing that we should do when teaching is to vary our message for the different audiences that we have. Jesus always took note of his audience and knew what to say and what not to say, what to keep back and what to give because he could understand the nature of the people that he was speaking to. And also, we can even choose our illustrations based on the audience. So you may be in the audience of the learned, but the learned that you are with are people who are more familiar with things in business. Then use business illustrations. If the learned people that you are with are more scientific, then use the class of science that that audience can relate with because just because something scientific doesn't mean everybody who are scientists can understand every illustration. You have to use the type that you know your audience can relate with. When he met the people that were prejudiced like the Pharisees, he usually answered their questions by giving them illustrations to think about. The story of the Good Samaritan was a story told to the Pharisees to make them to, to enforce in their minds the lesson of who their neighbor was and mercy, to teach them lessons of mercy and kindness, not just to Jews, but also to Gentiles. 
There was a time when they came to meet him to ask him by whose authority he was preaching in Matthew 21 verse 23 to 27. Jesus then asked them the question in verse 25, The baptism of John, whence was it? From heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say unto us, Why did ye not believe in him? But if we say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. And they answered Jesus and said, We cannot tell. And he said unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. You see, this was tact that Jesus used here in answering the prejudiced Pharisees to try to help them, to escape their wrath actually, because they were up to no good. And he used tact to, and wisdom to ensure that he doesn't fall for their traps. We read in our devotion today, page 51, paragraph 3, that Christ's words so comforting and cheering to those that listen to them are for us today. What are some of these words that are so comforting? Jesus assures us in John 11 verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. Maybe you have lost a loved one. Jesus speaks to you and I hope it goes deeply into your heart that Jesus is the resurrection and the life and he said, He that believeth in me, though he were dead, ye shall live, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? It's a question to you. It's a comforting word. He also said in the book of John 12, reading from verse 23 to 26, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. In verse 25 he said, He that loveth his, his life shall lose it. And he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor. God will honor you if you follow him. John 12, reading from verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. I am come as a light into the world, and whosoever believeth on me shall not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Those are comforting words. In Matthew 7, from verse 7, he tells us, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. And then he assures us in verse 11, If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? Matthew 6, verse 25 to 34, Jesus assures us that he knows our needs. He knows that we have need of food, of shelter, and clothing, but he advises us, seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The Lord speaks these same comforting words to you and to me today, and we can speak the same words to others as we learn how to teach in depth. May God give us the grace so that we can become good teachers of the word. In conclusion, I read Voice and Speech and Song, page 77, paragraph 1. It says, Christ's teachings were not impressed upon his hearers by any outward gestures, but by the words and acts of his daily life, by the Spirit he revealed. 
And in paragraph 4 it says, The Pharisees were filled with a frenzy of hatred against him because they could see that his teaching had a power and attractiveness that their words were utterly devoid of. They decided that the only way to cut off his influence was to pass sentence of death upon him, and therefore they sent officers to take him. But when the officers came within hearing of his voice and listened to his gracious words, they were charmed into forgetting their errand. End of quote. This is why we must teach forcibly by our lives. It was not the gestures of Jesus that impressed the truth on the hearers, but it was the words and the acts of his daily life. That's why we read in Ministry of Healing, page 469, paragraph 1 and 2, there's an eloquence far more powerful than the eloquence of words in the quiet, consistent life of the pure, true Christian. What a man is has more influence than what he says. The officers who were sent to Jesus came back with the report that never man spoke as he spoke. But the reason for this was that never man lived as he lived. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power. I go on now. Paragraph 3 says, It is our own character and experience that determine our influence upon others. In order to convince others of the power of Christ's grace, we must know its power in our own hearts and lives. The gospel we present for the saving of souls must be the gospel by which our own souls are saved. Only through our living faith in Christ as a personal Savior is it possible to make our influence felt in a skeptical world. If we would draw sinners out of the swift running current, our own feet must be firmly set upon the rock, Christ Jesus. Amen. So what have we learned so far? We have learned that in order to teach deeply, we need to use illustrations drawn from the common walks of life, not from the uncommon walks of life. We must learn to teach forcibly, using illustrations that will drive and enforce the message into the hearts of the hearers. We can vary our illustrations and symbols based on the audience that we uh, we find ourselves in. That means we should be versatile in our knowledge so that we can know how to bring illustrations from the works of life of the people, the people whom we are speaking to. And also we saw that Christ had gestures that the people could even copy his gestures. And we also have seen that the way to teach forcibly is through our life. If we, the gospel we are preaching, we are not saved by it. The people cannot see the change in our lives. If we, they look at our characters and they see something that is not in harmony with, some, with what they want to be, with what Christ is, they will look at the gospel and compare it with your life and say, I don't want to be like you because they believe that the gospel you are preaching is what made you what you are. If you are harsh, unsympathetic, merciful, they will feel like, I don't want this gospel because this gospel you are preaching, if this is what is going to make me become, I'm not interested. But Christ's gospel had power because they could see his life. They believed that the gospel he was preaching is what made him what he was. So we must portray the right character. The gospel must transform us so that we can give the same gospel to people. And while they check our lives, they see that this is what they are going to become if they follow what we say. May God help us. It's a very high calling because your life is the gospel itself. But the Lord can give the grace that the gospel will transform us, that when we preach, people can see the example of what they will become if they follow the same gospel that we preach. 
Let us pray. Thank you, dear Father, for giving us the grace to have heard these words today. Teach us, Lord, to be like our Lord Jesus, to be like you, that we may learn to be good teachers of the word, to know how to deeply impress the truths that are contained in the word of God in the hearts of the hearers. Educate us under you, O Lord, that we may be effective teachers of the word. To the end, that we may bring about the knowledge of, the, of God in the land, that we may hasten the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. This message was brought to you by the angel with a strong voice, a ministry dedicated to preparing people to stand true to God and be ready for His imminent return. For more information and free online resources, please visit www.tawas.org. That is www.tawasv.org or contact info at stars.org.